So imagine this. You're a server working the lunch shift at a swank and chic fine dining restaurant downtown. It's not a busy lunch, but you're busy taking care of your customers. Midway through service, the hostess lets you know that they've sat you a two-top. You glance over your section and see a pair of businesswomen settling into their seats, most likely there to talk shop. They're in one of the few corner booths of the restaurant, which are often booked out ahead of time as they're sought out for their privacy. These are the tables more popular at dinner time, usually reserved for a partnership of a more romantic kind. So you saunter over, welcome them to the restaurant, and you take their drink orders. A few minutes later, you drop off their wine and recite the daily specials. They order their meals, and you leave them to resume their conversation. You promptly punch their orders in, and then you make the rounds to other tables. Typical stuff. Nothing crazy. No more than a few minutes pass before you hear a muted shriek, followed by a loud gasp. You turn to the source of the sounds, and your eyes land on that corner booth where you spy the two businesswomen looking at each other, then kind of looking around. They both have similarly horrified looks on their faces. You swiftly and silently glide over to assess the situation. Now you get there, no one says anything, but both women stare at the hand of the woman seated alongside the wall. In that hand is something. The object is thin and kind of crumpled, crepe-like if you will, and it's coated in something. You can't fully see it because the lighting near the booths are often lower than the rest of the restaurant, hence their popularity with the lovers of the world. <laughs> but then as your eyes adjust more and more, your brain starts to snap out of your slight panic mode. And then you start to put it together. Between the ghastly looks in your customer's eyes, the light reflecting off the object, and knowing the location of the table, it all comes into focus. In her hand is a condom. And not only is it a condom, it's a used condom. <laughs> I know, I know, eek, eek, ick. <laughs> You're shocked, but you don't let them see it register on your face. You keep it real smooth-like. And without a word, you swoop the slimy love glove out of her outstretched hand with a napkin, wiping as much of the contaminants off as you can. Then you escort the woman with haste and quietly to the restrooms. Now, aghast, you get rid of the condom, wash your own hands, try not to think about the source of the mess, and you make your way back to the table. You ask, what happened? The poor diner tells you that while she was talking to her table mate, she absentmindedly slipped her hand between the back cushion and the seating cushion. And that's when the remnants of a private Tickle Me Elmo session, being my private dancer, slipped onto her fingers as, she, as if she were Frodo with Sauron's ring of power. And so armed, or fingered, <laughs> with this information, you not only move them to a different table, but you buy them an additional drink, hoping that the additional wine will help them wash away the horror that has infiltrated their minds. Now, as they said back in the OJ trial days, if the glove fits, you must acquit. And you acquit them of paying the bill, comping their entire meal as one would. 
In this case, the only thing these ladies were guilty of was just trying to have a meal in peace without having to deal with some ding-dongs dong-dinger. Just another Tuesday in the downtown core, right? Now, as you continue serving your other tables, you can't get the image of the glass slipper on your customer's hand out of your mind. You keep checking in with them, but at the same time, you're sort of embarrassed to approach the table. They finally start to leave. You know, you, you give one final apology and you just all have a nervous laugh over it. They leave you a good tip and as you clean the tables and seats and everything else thoroughly, you think, man, this is gonna be a great story at the bar tonight. Now you're probably asking yourself, how, when, why? Self-evident questions in many ways, but still. The reality is that in many restaurants and workplaces, there's a lot of after-hour shenanigans. Drinks after work, at work are sometimes allowed, as long as it doesn't get out of hand. Every restaurant or hospitality property has their own rules and they get to create them as they should. Some places don't want any kind of drinking going on at all and you can understand why. But nonetheless, it's something that does happen. There are times in some places, in some spaces where it does absolutely get out of hand. And we can all assume that this was one of those times. See, when you mix alcohol, a dark, dim, and cozy space, some unprocessed or unexpressed feelings, and that gin-fueled chemistry and courage, plus, don't forget, the keys to the restaurant. Oof. You create an opportunity for some office romance of the fleeting kind to spark up. Now, some clandestine smooching in the office may be one thing, But buttering the biscuit in a booth is something at a whole different level. Now, (laughs) such a crazy thing. The classy thing in an uh, an already unclassy situation would to be get rid of the evidence, right? To clean up post-planting the parsnip session. But I guess our pal decided it would be time-saving to slip that condom into another crevice (laughs) rather than tossing it in the trash. Most likely, the perp was just probably too drunk or high to care, frankly. I mean, this was poor crime scene cleanup. I mean, after the server had told me what happened during that lunch, as I was there at the time, I was in the back, obviously, I couldn't help just wondering, like, how traumatizing that experience would have been for the diners, especially for the one who had the condom on her hand. You know, there were no cameras. And no one, of course, fessed up to that slime crime. So that secret will die with the porking protagonist and their dance partner. In the end, the businesswomen left about as satisfied as they could be, maybe, given the circumstances. We were all in shock about it in the back. And to be honest, we could only laugh about it much later on. True. It was a good story to tell at the bar. (laughs) So... What is the point of this story other than for the obvious high ick factor? When I think of this story, there are a few things that come up for me. First is, ew. Second, 
I would say that it's the practice of professionalism. But the real sauce is what's nestled within that, confidence and attitude. In many ways, they're all intertwined. And as you'll see, we're going to break these down in a bit. So by the end of the episode, you'll not only have a better understanding of these concepts, but also some ways to introduce them, introduce these practices into your own life. So let's hit the grill with this one. So professionalism, what is it? When we think of a professional, we tend to think of someone who's polished and preen, their hair coiffed just right, cologne and perfume on point, stunning posture, but with just enough of a certain indifference about them to keep them above us slugs and bridge trolls. But being professional is more about behavior than looks. Being a professional is about encompassing the way you carry yourself. It's your approach and, and, and the ways that you communicate with others, regardless if you're working, you know, back a house or front of house or both. Being a pro involves trust, knowledge, ethics, character of, of holding yourself to a set of standards, morals and expectations. But think about the last time you interacted with someone who you considered a professional, someone that you saw as a pro, whether it was someone selling you shoes or a laptop or someone helping you with your banking or IT or even someone, you know, teaching you how to play the lute. (laughs) What did they have that made you feel that they were professionals? Perhaps they made you feel that you were being cared for and safe and tended to, that you were the most important person in the room. Or maybe it was their efficiency in helping you, or just how meticulous they were in doing what they did, making it masterful and yet making it look easy all the time. Of all the characteristics of a pro, the ones that interest me the most and that I feel underpins all of these other traits are simple. They're confidence and attitude. Now, of course, there's also the surface traits of professionals that others talk about, like being on time and dressed properly. And all those are important in some ways. But when it comes to being a true professional, it's much deeper than those. I mean, you can't cosplay being a professional. It's it's who you are at the core. Professionalism is confidence demonstrated through behavior. And where does this confidence come from then? It's learning skills and picking up knowledge. It's understanding your job, your industry, knowing your strengths, and also what you need to work on. Do something enough times and you'll find your confidence growing. I mean, the more you practice that lute (laughs) or speak a new language, the more confident you become. I mean, think of like how confident you are driving now compared to the first little while as you kind of white knuckled the steering wheel as you navigated traffic as a noob. It's very different. Now, One thing professionals have in common is that while they may not love the actual industry they're in, they do love being of service. And that's their anchor. That's their raison d'etre. That's their superpower, if you will. Now, I'm a movie buff. And so when I think of professionals, my mind wanders to characters like The Wolf, right? Winston Wolf in Pulp Fiction. You know, the guy who they call to clean up messy crime scenes. He was confident. He strode in there like a champ, knowing exactly what to do, dressed up in his tux and all. Now, as a cleaner, you can tell that he had done this many times. He had orchestrated everyone into doing the things that needed to be done because he knew exactly what was needed to get the job done. 
he was unapologetic in his methods because he knew his ways worked, period. Or, you know, I think of the gun sommelier in John Wick 2 or Olivia Pope and Scandal. In fact, you know, if you think of all the movie character assassins or secret agents or even elite criminals like mafia, you often see them through the lens of being professional, right? Like you see them always in that light. That's because, you know, it's very romantic, but they hold themselves to a high level of standards, a code of conduct, rules and boundaries, even if they do operate outside the law. It's, it's kind of the honor amongst thieves, if you will, you know, and very little rattles a professional. And if they are rattled, they often don't show it. And so even when something happens outside the familiar, they're able to use their decision making skills and ability to get the job done no matter what. So in this case, going back to our story about the prophylactic fiasco, <laughs> the server obviously never had this come up in his career before, I'm assuming, but he knew a few things. And now I want you to pay attention here because I'm going to share with you four points that can help you when you run into any situation where you're caught off guard professionally or personally. One, keep calm and composed. People will follow your lead. So panicking or freaking out isn't going to help anyone, including yourself. Just breathe. Focus on the task at hand. Remove emotion from the equation. Two, use discretion and sometimes humor to help disarm any tense or sticky situations. Tact and focusing on the facts can help de-escalate high tension or conflict so many times. It can be useful to move a conversation perhaps to another place and to step away from the charged area, for example, um, or to lower your tone of voice to help calm others if they're raising their voices. Now, when it comes to humor, you're going to have to read the room and make an intuitive call. You know, you have to have a strong EQ to know whether it's useful or whether humor will make things worse. Like, I know that with our youngest son, when we're in certain tense moments, we know that we can still joke with him and it helps him because it breaks the tension and he opens up more. But we can read the times when we just have to let him be. And we know that joking around may actually make him feel like his, we're invalidating his feelings. So overall, tread carefully, my friend, as using humor, humor can backfire if used in the wrong place at the wrong time in the wrong situation but it can be useful. Three, regardless of the cause of the situation, work towards a solution. This is critical in resolving issues. You take charge. Professionals take care of business, period. When you're a leader, you show the way. You take the reins and use all your skills to move to a better outcome. Of course, Listen to who you're engaged with, but as a pro, you make the final call. You can work with them, but in the end, you're leading. And lastly, four, understand that safety and security is vital. When taking care of others, they need to feel like they're understood, they're heard, they're validated, they're protected, or whatever is needed to have them feel that you're in control and that you have their best interests at heart, even if they don't see it at the time. And this isn't about being overbearing or controlling. This is about being of service to others in a confident way. Now, in the case of our condom catastrophe, um, I'm not sure what other servers would have done, but what this one server did was those four things exactly. He kept calm, 
He was discreet to de-escalate the energy around the situation. He took immediate action to solve the issue. And he definitely, definitely made sure that they felt taken care of. You know, he was truly professional. He created impact and brought safety to those diners when they most needed it. And he handled it his way. And in the end, even joking with them about it and like using that humor I just mentioned, but he still did it with confidence. And he was okay with expecting the unexpected, as should you. And there's something I have to say to, you know, this is something I've said to many culinary students and cooks and managers and clients is that thing of expect the unexpected and you'll be okay because you know that you don't have to put so many expectations on yourself and you don't have to because nothing is guaranteed so you don't have to get pressed when something outside the norm happens it doesn't help you or anyone else it, it doesn't it doesn't track well when you play the victim it's about taking ownership now let's talk a little bit more about attitude and I don't mean that sass back you get like from your teens <laughs> but an attitude of a different sort There once was a man named Earl Nightingale. <laughs> I know, sounded like the beginning of a dirty in the market. It's okay, we're all good here. We're all, it's all above board. Earl was in many ways the godfather of personal development mentors. I mean, he was there long before Tony Robbins was even a twitch in his daddy's pants. Um, come on, we're, we're adults here. <laughs> One record or program in particular that Earl created was called The Magic Word. And spoiler alert, that word was attitude. Now, the way Earl describes this word, it's about how you see the world, how you see yourself in the world, and more importantly, how you see yourself. So creating and holding a good attitude about ourselves, you know, isn't as simply as making polenta. And polenta is lovely. But like polenta, you're going to be stirring things up. And it gets messy at times. So having a groovy attitude comes down to a few simple points. I want you to make note of these or just blot them in your bingo card, whatever works best for you. If you expect crappy things to happen to you, then you'll become a magnet for unpleasant experiences. As Earl said in his sort of Lovecraftian kind of way, we become you know, self-generating, doom-fulfilling machines and cycles like scary but on the other hand, if you expect more good out of life than bad, then you'll find success sort of like being drone delivered to you like a pizza uh, on a more regular basis than if you're just, you know, a grumpy monkey. A good attitude is powerful, but it needs to be cultivated and watered daily. It's like keeping your body physically fit. It requires regular and even daily attention. And if you let it slip, you'll find it reflected in your results. It's work, but it's noble work. Attitude is a choice, and you can choose how you see others, how you see yourself, and how you operate in your day-to-day. -day. You make a choice every moment of the day in how you want to see things. You can decide to see things with curiosity and joy and as a challenge, or you can see it as being a victim, you know, playing the woe-is-me card over and over, the, <laughs> the Morrissey. Um, and and just demanding people change because you don't see it in yourself. Now, having a good attitude doesn't mean everything is creamsicles and double rainbows. That would be lovely. It does mean that you decide how you want to show up in your life in a positive and potent way. Because 
how you show up determines your results. If you think about your life right now, your life right now is a result of all the decisions you've made up until today, right? That includes what kind of attitude you carry about life and, and, and how you see others in yourself. Again, going back to our story, the server in the situation carried a great attitude about him throughout the whole encounter. And just in general, I mean, I saw him countless times a week at the restaurant. He always had an even temperament. He was funny. He saw everything unfolding as it was and saw people as they were, warts and all. And he lovingly accepted others as is, including himself. You know, he didn't take himself too seriously and yet, you know, took life as a wonderful experiment to play around with. And he didn't really care about what others thought of him because he held such a strong and healthy attitude about himself. Now, having said all this, I don't want to put this guy on a pedestal. He definitely had his shortcomings. He was human. You know, he can get annoyed and come off, go off on someone and certainly <laughs> had a talent for pissing off the management. But overall, he carried an attitude of success around him, right? He led himself, which meant he was a leader on the floor. People were drawn to him. And it didn't matter what he did. Like, yes, he took orders and served food, but he was a leader, he was a magnet for success, however that way showed up for him. And only you can define what success is for you. No one can do that for you. So this server, when the booth incident happened, he was himself in many ways. He didn't have to, pre to pretend or put on some sort of facade. He approached the situation in a way that was reflected in who he was alongside that professionalism we talked about earlier. And that's the thing with attitude. It's genuine. And it's always something that we can work on. And that swings both ways. You know, you know, there's people, you know, if they won the lottery today, they would still complain like there wasn't a parade as, as well, or they didn't get it delivered to them with in cash with crisp bills of their denomination of choose. Like they would find something to chirp about. Others are content in life, even if they're barely scraping by. And it comes down to attitude. Now, one last aspect of attitude is something that we've already mentioned. And it's something that I really want you to take note of here. Having a great attitude also includes treating everyone as if they're the most important person in the world at that moment. Can you imagine if we treated everyone like this? Imagine if we put our phones down for a second and looked people square in the eye and actively listened and spilled forth compassion and understanding and empathy and maybe shared a laugh and let them know that they were being seen. Like, how would that experience be for the person being seen and being heard right in front of you? How would that be for us? And when you show respect and kindness to others, it comes back to you. And you do it because that's how a human being should treat another human being in the first place. You show up in energy in the way that you would enjoy receiving as well. If you're a professional, when you demonstrate this attitude and confidence and this service-based way of being, you'll be rewarded in so many ways. Not just, I'm not talking monetarily, but also in how others see you and how they respond to you and your energy. You know, this goes, you know, with friends and family as much as it does customers and clients. This is a 24-7 deal, not just a 9-to-5 thing. 
Like, what are you modeling for your kids, your neighbors, your curling club, your D&D group? <laughs> In the end, it doesn't matter your background, your circumstances, whatever may have befallen you in your past. You have a choice right here and now how you feel about those things and how you want your life to unfold. Your attitude determines everything. Now, you can see why Earl called it the magic word. So, we started the show with a sticky tail, and now hopefully you'll walk away with something that will stick with you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Not in a gross way. I'll shut up now. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. That would be doing me a solid and would help give you first dibs when new episodes drop. Also, check out the YouTube channel where you can watch the episodes as well. Link in the description. Thanks again for being here. I really appreciate it. Kitchen's closed. Now scram. <laughs> <laughs>